You're listening to the DNB Supply Show podcast, your number one resource for living the country lifestyle. This is your host, Matt Breckwald, coming to you from my place in the country to yours. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the DNB Supply Show. I am very excited about today's episode, and I wanted to tell you about what we're going to be talking about. So, we are in the midst of gardening season here, uh, well, all across the country, but in especially here in eastern Oregon and in southwestern Idaho. I mean, it is gardening season. The sun is out. We've got great water this year, and uh, hopefully all of your gardens look fantastic. And, you know, as, as I was thinking about this and thinking about today's episode, the thing that occurred to me, the thing that came to mind is, what is it about gardening that people would change if they could change it? Or what is it about gardening that people who don't garden would probably be more apt to grow their own food, their own vegetables, all of this great stuff that you can do in your garden if they just didn't have to do this one thing? And I know this isn't going to be true for 100% of the people, but I bet it's true for 98%, and that is probably weeding, weeding your garden. So let me ask you a question. What if there was a product? What if there was a robot that would go out and it would weed your garden for you. You could just put it out in your garden. You wouldn't have to worry about it again. And it wouldn't cost you anything to operate. And it was affordable. Does that sound too good to be true? <laughs> well, our guest today is a gentleman named Rory McKean. He is the CEO of a company called Franklin Robotics uh, in Boston, Massachusetts. And they have invented a product called Turtle. It's spelled T-E-R-T-I-L-L, but it is a robot that weeds your garden for you. And it's fascinating. Uh, The videos out there online to look at it are fascinating. And he and his company are in the midst of what's called a Kickstarter campaign. So there's actually an opportunity for you, if you're hearing this before the expiration of this Kickstarter campaign uh, for you to get in on the front end and get a discount on one of these. And he will explain that going through our episode. But this is such an interesting innovation in the world of gardening that I definitely wanted to bring it to you and get it to you while you still have the opportunity to be part of this crowdfunding or this Kickstarter campaign. And if you don't know what that is, that's okay. I had to learn about it myself, but he'll explain it going through the episode. And you might remember an invention or you've probably seen on a television show or on a commercial or something like that, a robot called the Roomba. And this is the little round robot that just scurries around your carpet and vacuums for you and you're doing nothing. It's doing it for you. The turtle is actually invented by the creator of the Roomba, his name is Joe Jones, who also is part of Franklin Robotics. And so it's kind of modeled in the same way and it makes a lot of intuitive sense. But anyway, I'm not going to try and explain it. I'll let our guest explain it. He does a much better job than me. Absolutely fascinating invention. And uh, hopefully this gives you the opportunity to improve your gardening experience. Well, joining me today is Rory McKean, the CEO of Franklin Robotics. Rory, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for coming on and speaking with me today. 
Not a problem. Glad to talk to you. Well, I'm excited to speak with you. Some of the folks that helped me produce the show sent me a link and they showed me this invention, the turtle, or I don't know if I'm supposed to call it the turtle. We're going to ask you all about that here coming up, but what an incredible invention. And so I was really looking forward to talking to you about that. We're going to jump into that in just a second, but I thought we'd start off just by asking you about you. So where are you located here in our country and and what's your journey been to lead you to being the CEO of Franklin Robotics? Sure. So I'm a robotics guy. We're in Boston. So I've actually spent just about all my life in Massachusetts. So when I was about 12 years old, I saw a Nova special on PBS. And it was about this uh, class at MIT where everybody got a kit of parts and they needed to make a robot to do this, mm-hmm. um, to move ping pong balls from one side of the table to the other. I saw that and I was like, oh, I want to make robots. And so that's what I've been doing ever since. At school, I got into factory automation, making machines that make things. Studied that in grad school. And then uh, once I got out, I got into mobile robots, which are robots that drive around and do stuff indoors and outdoors. And that's you know sort of how we ended up here, making an outdoor robot. You've got a love of outdoor robots or robots in general, and then uh, you have found an area where they're needed, it sounds like. Yeah, I ended up working at a company called Harvest Automation, which is outside Boston here. And what Harvest does is makes robots for commercial nurseries and greenhouses, basically robots that move potted plants around. Okay. And that was really interesting. So it's a world I didn't really know existed before coming across Harvest. And it's a really good job for a robot, um, something where you want to be really precise. Uh And it's a really repetitive and, uh, frankly, unpleasant task on on these nurseries. Yeah, but that's sort of opened my eyes to agriculture and the uh, you know the possibilities and the opportunities for using automation to uh, improve the way we grow food and grow things in general. That I, I found really really interesting to work on. So was that your first introduction to working in agriculture when you worked at that nursery? Yeah, that's sort of where it started. And when I came into the company, I was doing uh, technical stuff. My background is mechanical engineering, but I actually came in and wrote software for a while. You get into robots and you study all sorts of different engineering. So I was writing software for a while. I was doing some testing. And it's like, so we are obviously outside Boston. Not a whole lot of these nurseries are here, or at least certainly not at a large scale. So we had to figure out how do we test our product. In particular, you know, we have, uh, we have a winter season, just like a lot of the country. Mm-hmm. So even when it's winter, how do we continue to get the robots outdoors and, and get some hours and hours and pots moved under our belts? So I was doing testing for a while, and then I got into integration with the customers. Like, how do we take these robots and integrate them into our customers' workflow and make our customers more successful, more productive? And that's when I started, you know, flying around the country and visiting these nurseries and getting a real feel for, you know, sort of the real work that we're doing, the job sure. that we're doing, and how these growers actually get the work done. Very. So that, that, was, that was fascinating. Nothing like that, you know, getting your boots on the ground and getting dirty. Yeah, absolutely. to really understand a problem. Yeah, that's right. I mean, there's without getting in there and actually doing it, there's just some nuances that you're probably not going to understand. Exactly. Exactly. And we found a couple. I have really enjoyed hearing about you and your development and your exposure to agriculture. That's something I always like hearing about. Uh, But here we are. We're almost five minutes into this. I haven't even had you tell our listeners what the turtle is yet. So I'm sure they're going to be fascinated with that. Can you explain to them what it is? Sure. And then just a little bit of history to, to pull it together. So one of the guys I worked with at this company, 
in Harvest. Um, his name is Joe Jones, and he was the found, one of the founders of Harvest. So prior to working at Harvest, Joe was at iRobot, which is a robotics company um, outside Boston here as well. And Joe is the inventor of the Roomba, the little vacuum cleaner. So that's the self-propelled so, little thing that runs around your room and vacuums for you? Exactly, exactly. Okay. And so, you know, Joe has a similar robotics background, and then, you know, we both left Harvest, and we're looking to do something else. You know, we're interested in robots that drive, we're interested in agriculture, having worked at Harvest. Uh-huh. Um, and Joe has this background in consumer robots that do stuff. And so you mush all that together, and you end up in the home gardening space. And that was, you know, an interesting spot. We felt like we could do something there. Went and talked to a bunch of people and said, you know, what do you like about gardening? What do you not like about gardening? And one of the things that, that keeps bubbling up to the top of the list that people don't like to do is to weed their garden. Mm-hmm. And so we looked at and said, oh, maybe we can make a robot that weeds people's gardens for them. And that's what we've been working on. So we've um, developed a robot called Turtle, T-E-R-T-I-L-O. And the idea is it's a solar-powered robot that lives in a vegetable garden or flower garden. And every day it'll charge itself up in the sunlight. And when the battery gets full, it wanders around and avoids any plants or obstacles. And then while it's doing that, it's always looking for any weeds which are growing up from the ground. If it finds any weeds, it cuts them down with a little uh, weed whacker that we have on the bottom of the robot. So basically a little robot that takes care of the weeding. Well, I'll tell you what, let's take a commercial break. And when we come back, I want to get into some of the specifics about how the turtle works. Sounds good. Say you were to ride off into the sunset. Ideally, what kind of boots and clothes would you be wearing? For horseback riders of all styles, nothing beats the look and performance of Ariat. Available at D&B Supply. Everyone from famous rodeo cowboys to country music legends to equestrian Olympians turn to Ariat with confidence. You can count on them too. Think of Ariat as your ultimate riding companion for the life and times in the West. When you need to better outfit your ride with Ariat, stop on by your favorite D&B Supply. A cowboy's hat can make or break his summer. The right hat gives lots of shade, will last past the first thunderstorm, and is light and breathable so your head won't sweat like your horse does. For quality straw hats, Resistall is the company to hang your hat on. For over 90 years, USA-made Resistall straw hats have given cowboys across the country hats they want to hang on to. Resistall straw cowboy hats, the best all around. Available at your favorite D&B supply. All right, Rory. Well, now that we're back, I, so you were you were explaining what the turtle does, and it's fascinating. If you watch the video on YouTube or on your website and you see how it works, it's almost like a light bulb goes off in your head and you go, oh, why didn't I think of that? And I know I'm unbelievably oversimplifying the process here. It probably took you guys a ton of time to come up with how this would work. But man, I think that's the brilliance of it is that it looks so simple. I know a lot probably went into it. Yeah, I mean, it's um, no doubt it took us a, a while to get there in, in many sort of dead ends and ideas that seem really great until we actually get the robot out there and you try them. But yeah, the notion of you know trying to keep it simple and robust um, is one of the things that, that we actually spend a lot of time on. You know, so we want to make something that's simple to use, straightforward to understand how sure. it's, how it's working, and we find that you know really helpful in getting people to sort of see it and get it and accept it. You know, we don't want it to be complicated. That's the, that's the idea. Absolutely. And now your videos and, and the videos that are out there are great. It really makes you see clearly how it works. But of course, we're on radio and a podcast here. So we'll try and describe it a little bit for our listeners who don't have the benefit of, of looking at the video right now. So the Roomba, it's a disc shaped robot. It's on four wheels. And everything about this that I've seen is designed specifically to make it more effective. So it rolls around your garden 
for lack of a better term, it's got a small weed whacker on the bottom and the center. And when it senses it's over the top of a weed, it will cut that weed down. And it does this based on solar power. So you can just leave it out there and let it just roam around and execute your weeds, basically. That's the idea. Yeah. So it's about uh, eight inches in diameter or so to give you sort of a sense of scale and, and maybe uh, four, four and a half inches tall. And yeah, but that's the idea is we wanted to make it so that it's not something that you need to bring into your garage or shed and charge up and then remember to bring out on the weekends or something mm-hmm. like that. It's totally solar powered. So the robot can gather enough energy during the, during a day to run around for an hour or two. And, you know, depends on conditions, of, uh-huh. of course. But that's enough to you know run around, like I said, for an hour or two and cut down any weeds that it finds. And so that's sort of the trick is that we're cutting the weeds every day. And so it's, it works a little bit differently than if you were to weed your garden by hand. You know, if you're doing if you're doing that, you want to make sure you get the roots out. You know, a lot of that is because you don't want to come back tomorrow and mm-hmm. pull that same weed or cut that same weed again. But the robot will be there tomorrow, so it doesn't care. So you can make those sort of trade offs when you think about the problem more like a robot does than than a person does. <laughs> okay. And so, in what I saw in your video, and it makes total sense, is that even if the same weed keeps emerging day after day. If turtle goes and cuts that weed every day, that weed is exhausting all of the energy it's got stored up in its roots. And pretty soon, since it can't have any photosynthesis because turtle keeps cutting off the leaves and and things like that, it's going to die. That's the idea. That's the idea is, um, you know, we continue to do this every day. And that's why the robot needs to be out there every day for that to work, which is what led us down the path of saying, oh, we should make it solar powered. And it turns out, you know, the math works. You can have a solar-powered device like that as long as it only needs to run for an hour or two every day. Sure. Um, You can gather enough energy on a solar panel that big to make it all work. Now, something I saw in one of the videos is the design of the wheels actually are done that way on purpose, both for getting across the soil, but also to be weeding or helping to keep weeds from emerging while it's rolling across the soil. How does that work and what does that look like? Yeah, and just to explain for people who haven't seen it, um, you know, wheels, like in every situation you've probably ever seen, are sort of straight up and down, right? Mm-hmm. And your your axis of motion is, you know, parallel to the ground there. What we've done is actually taken them and, and tipped them. So we call it an extreme camber, but the wheels are basically tilted over, you know, it's about 45 degrees. Okay. And we did that for a couple reasons. What we started out with, and there's, you know, been through probably seven or eight like real big revisions that, that we spent some time with uh, was a big four-wheel drive thing because we said, oh, well, let's model it after a tractor or you know, a four-wheel drive truck or something like that because obviously they're good at getting around and they're really mobile. So what we found in doing that is that the robot could occasionally, two things. One, it would frequently, not frequently, but sometimes get high-centered, um, you know, drive itself up onto a rock and the wheels are loaded because you don't have any suspension. So the robot would get itself stuck and that's no fun. The other part is that uh, the robot would sometimes turn in place, and because it ends up being rectangular, we would sometimes turn into plants and damage them. Okay. And that's you know obviously something that we can't do either. What we ended up doing, so what you want to do is then wrap more and more sensing around the wheels so that they don't turn into plants. And what ends up happening is the robot sort of becomes round. So robots really like to become round. Okay. And this is why like the Rumble vacuum cleaner ends up being round for very similar reasons, uh, because it's always safe to turn out. So, hitting anything else. So when you're up with a round robot and you want to keep really big wheels so you don't get stuck and so you can drive over 
obstacles. What ends up happening is the contact patch for those wheels ends up getting closer and closer to the center because you're trying to keep the wheels as big as you can. Okay. And what happens is the robot starts to get really tippy forward and back and side to side. And what we found is if you take sort of those contact patches and you drag them out to the corners and that tilts the wheels over, it, the robot becomes much more stable. And so that's sort of how we got there. But then what we found out as we were driving around is the robot, it's not as efficient. And that's, you know, one of the reasons that, you know, you don't see this more typically, but the wheels end up sort of scrubbing the top surface of the soil. And what we found is that actually had the effect of damaging the pre-emergent weeds, which was sort of an interesting side effect. It wasn't actually the intentional goal at the beginning, but um, sort of a pleasant thing that we found. Oh, okay. So you kind of stumbled upon this extra capability of the turtle. Exactly. Yeah. So now, is this when you've got yeah. you pre-emerging weeds, so you've got them just right under the surface, or they're just basically, uh, just uh, barely coming above the surface of the soil uh, when the wheels go over, it's disturbing that enough to keep them from emerging any further? Exactly. Yeah. And so that's not, you know, it's not as sort of glamorous, or, or I don't know if that's <laughs> quite the right word, as the weed whacker, satisfying maybe. Right, right. Um, but it, it was um, sort of a pleasant thing that comes along. I think it says, and speaking of the weed record, that's sort of one additional thing is by tilting the wheels over like that, that lets us have a bigger diameter weed whacker. On sure. It. And so the bigger diameter weed whacker, the, sort of, the better. Okay. So. Got it. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what, let's take another commercial yep. break. And uh, when we come back, I want to ask you a few more specifics about the turtle. D&B knows that life in the West is defined by hard work, innovation, and constant improvement. These values made the West what it is today. And these are the values that have made Wrangler the defining West. Western brand since 1947. Wrangler Apparel is designed to feel good in the saddle, look sharp at the rodeo, and work hard on the ranch. That's why Wrangler fits with classic Western heritage like a boot in a stirrup. For clothing that's a good value and steeped in Western values, stock up on Wrangler at your favorite D&B supply. A well-worn pair of Danner boots has become a hallmark for hard-working and hard-playing people in the West, and everywhere else for that matter. Find your next pair of long-lasting, great-looking, made-in-the-USA Danner boots at D&B Supply. Hold a Danner boot in your hand, and you'll notice the handcrafted precision. Try it on, and you'll feel the difference. Test it against the elements, and you'll appreciate the value of a product that's built to last. From classic hiking boots to handcrafted work boots to fashion-forward looks to fit your daily life, stop on by D&B Supply to try Danner boots on for size. All right, Rory. Well, you were talking about the weed whacker before we went into the break, and I wanted to ask you about that. So how did you design the turtle, or how did you and Joe design the turtle so that when it senses a weed, it centers itself over that weed so the weed whacker will actually hit it? Robotics is one big sensing problem. Um, you know, how do you, how do you see the world around you? And one of the tempting ways to make a robot that needs to see and interact with the world is to put cameras on it. And one of the things that Joe and I had found sort of in working in other robots in the past is there's a really subtle problem, which is hard to work around, which is that the cameras get dirty. And as soon as the camera gets dirty, which is really easy to do because, you know, the, the part you're looking out from is, is so small, the robot is, is basically stuck until someone comes out and cleans it. And we knew that the robot wanted to be autonomous and basically run unattended. So what we spent a lot of time on at the beginning was trying to figure out how do we sense things and how do we sense the world around us. And what we were able to come up with is this sensing approach that lets us sense the water in plants. 
So there's some technology out there that's, that's really sensitive to that. So you don't actually need to touch the plants, but you can come right up to them and you can sense that there's something there. Okay. And so what that meant is that the robot can basically wander around the garden and not drive into plants. And so that's sort of the basic premise. So the robot will wander around you know, until the battery runs down and not run into plants. But then while it's doing that, we also have a sensor on the bottom which looks for any weeds. So as we're doing that, if we drive across any weed, then we'll turn on the weed whacker and we'll cut down the weed at that point. Okay. So we're not actually hunting out weeds necessarily, but what we are doing is driving around and trying to cover as much of the garden as we can. And while we're doing that, we're looking for weeds. So now how does the turtle distinguish between a weed and a plant that you want to keep? Yeah, so that... Um, it is hard to do quite frequently, right? Uh, even people that are quite adept at this have trouble. So what we ended up doing was looking at the height of the plant and saying, what if we said tall things are plants and short things are weeds? Can that work? And that's the approach that we ended up taking. So basically anything that the robot can sense that's taller than an inch, the robot will pick up with its front sensors and turn and avoid it and leave it alone. But if it doesn't sense it, that means it's shorter than an inch. And then if it's growing, we'll say, okay, so that's a weed. And so that lets us you know, have a, a pretty robust and a pretty clear way of saying, this is what the robot thinks are plants and it's going to leave alone. And this is what the robot thinks are weeds. And so the trick then is what do you do about you know, things that you just planted, right? That you want to keep that are still seedlings and um, just sprouting. Mm-hmm. And so what we have is these little protective collars, um, these little bent pieces of wire that you can put around your seedlings or seeds until the plants get tall enough for the robot to recognize. That's sort of the way we distinguish plants and weeds, mm-hmm. and then how you um, let your short plants get tall enough for the robot to recognize. And I looked at that on the video as well, and the first thing I thought of was a tomato cage. And I realized the little collar you're talking about is not a tomato cage, but it's a little piece of metal that you put down around the plant that you want to protect, and then when the turtle bumps into it, it physically cannot go over and destroy that plant that you want to keep. Correct. Yeah. So it serves as a physical barrier, basically. You know, the robot will, will drive into that, but the robot can sense that, so it doesn't need to bump it really hard. Okay. Um, so it's not really driving into it. But yeah, it's just this, like a little metal ring that ends up sitting, you know, about an inch and a half or two inches off of the surface. And, you know, it's like three inches in diameter, so your plant can grow up there. Uh, in the video as well, on the larger plants, it showed the turtle would actually bump into that plant and then stop. So at what height is that safe for a plant where uh, it's going to be strong enough to stop the turtle versus needing the collar to make sure it doesn't get run over? So uh, basically the sensors that are in the front of the robot run all the way down the front edge. So uh-huh. it ends up being about an inch off the ground is sort of where that is. So as the robot comes up to a plant, it'll sense that there's a plant there. So it's not actually pushing into it necessarily, okay. but it'll, um, you know, as soon as it senses the presence of, of that plant, there, it'll stop and turn and, and drive off in a different direction. Now, I wanted to ask you about the soil in people's gardens. If they want to use the turtle, how smooth do they need this soil to be so the turtle can actually get around? You know, one of the things that becomes obvious as we, as we take this to garden to test is that every garden is a little bit different. So we test on uh, we test on dirt and we tr- test on wood mulch. Those are sort of the most common things that okay. we see here. It doesn't need to be particularly smooth. The robot will climb up to it's a forty percent slope, which is you know like twenty twenty two ish degrees. You know, frequently people have mounds in their in their gardens, mm-hmm. um, mound their plants, but you know it needs to be able to handle you know sort of rocks and valleys and puddles and things like that that you see in a typical garden. So you don't need a nicely manicured garden for the robot to be able to work. If it turns out, you know, that there's some obstacle that the robot 
frequently gets hung up on. It's usually pretty easy to throw some dirt in the hole or, or something like that. But what we've seen so far is you really don't need to make significant changes, certainly, or you know, frequently you can get away with not actually making any changes to your garden to make sure the robot's happily running around there. All right, well, let's take another break, and when we come back, I've got a few more questions for you. Know when they say good fences make good neighbors? When you've got Balin Country gates and panels to really fence your livestock in. Also, when you let your neighbor in on the great deals you can find on Balin Country at D&B. Made from steel and designed for stamina, Balin Country gates and panels are tested to match up to robust ranch life. So instead of mending all those fences, round up a whole new one with Balin Country at D&B Supply. If you think buzzing insects are annoying, just think about your horses. Without arms to swing and swat with, flies and gnats can land right in their eyes and ears, leading to sores, infections, and even allergic reactions. So this summer, protect your horses with Dervet Fly Control Masks from D&B Supply. Dervet Fly Control Masks keep a horse's eyes fresh and clean, preventing infections and improving vision for your noble steed. Dervet Fly Control Masks, available with and without ear protection at your favorite D&B Supply. All right, Rory. Well, so you were talking about the soil smoothness and and the slope that it can work on. So that's that's really good. Obviously, that's going to be important uh, that the that the turtle can get around. Uh, now, obviously, you're going to want to get rocks and things like that out because a, a large rock could probably slow it down, stop it, alter its course. Yeah, you can. I mean, so the robot doesn't really mind if it if it comes across obstacles. Um, you know, if if the rock's big enough that the robot just bounces off it, yeah, the robot. Robot doesn't mind. Okay. Um, if it if it if it's a you know a, a rock that's like small enough that the robot will will start to drive over it and, and you know might get stuck on it or something like that, um, then then you might want to move it. But um, yeah, the robot's perfectly happy to run around and uh, and do its best to you know explore the garden. Okay. And how do you keep the turtle from just leaving and going down and you know weeding your neighbor's garden? Right. Yeah. So the um, it needs a fence or a border of some sort. So this is sort of one of the trade-offs that we that we made is um, we wanted to make the installation experience as simple as we could. Um, so you don't need to sort of program the robot or put in coordinates or um, give it a map or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But instead, what the robot will do is just continue to wander around until it um, sees an obstacle. Um, so the so what we do is we uh, require that there be a border. Um, and it can be just about anything as long as it's about, you know, two inches tall. Okay. Um, so, you know, uh, you know, a lot of vegetable gardeners, of course, want to like a chicken wire fence or something to keep out, keep out rabbits and other, other animals. Um, so that'll be, that works great. Um, if you have a raised bed that has, you know, sort of a wooden border around it, that'll work as well. But you do need some sort of border there so the robot doesn't wander away. And that's one of the things that we found. It's really, um, uh, intuitive when uh, both the robot and the people can can see the same can see the same boundary uh-huh. um, rather than having something sort of virtual in the robot's memory uh, makes it a bit easier to kind of get your head around what sure. the robot's going to do. And so, if somebody's going to put turtle into their garden and they're going to let it start taking care of the weeding for them, do they need to go through and pre-weed the garden? Meaning if it's, if it's early spring and, and things have gotten ahead of you and your weeds are kind of tall, uh, then you, do you need to go in and get all those out first and kind of put turtle into, I don't want to say a sterile environment, but something that uh, is conducive to it working its best? 
Yeah, exactly. And, th- and that's sort of the second part of, you know, there's, you know, frequently say that there's sort of two rules or two, two steps to setting up the, the garden for a turtle. Um, and one of them is you need that border. And then the second is that there can't be any uh, tall weeds when you put the robot out there for the first time. Because if the weed's tall enough, um, the robot will come up to it and, and treat it as a plant. Mm-hmm. Um, so because it, it can't, you know, distinguish that, oh, this is, this is not a tomato, this is, you know, something I want to cut down. Um, so you do need to kind of run through and weed once. Um, you don't need to actually be as diligent and thorough about pulling out all the, uh, the entire root structure as, uh-huh. as you might normally if you were going to do it on your own. Um, but, yeah, you do need to run through and to make sure at least all the weeds are short. Okay. Wonderful. Now, out here, so the bulk of our listening audience, especially on the radio, is out here in the west, in eastern Oregon and southwestern Idaho. So we have a lot of sun during our gardening season. So I know that the amount of sun that you receive impacts the size of the area that turtle can weed. So what what do you say as a general rule, uh, The what I guess how many square feet in a garden that turtle can handle for one machine? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. So um, the robot will run basically um, it's as, as much power as it can get, it'll use. Um, so it has no notion of being sort of like done, per se. Um, if, it, if it gets a huge amount of sunlight, um, it'll run more. And if it's really, uh, really cloudy or shady, um, then the robot doesn't run as much. Mm-hmm. So what we do, and, and that affects your coverage area. So we looked at um, sort of the, you know, some of the statistics for garden sizes um, in the U.S. Um, and this is uh, a number that, that will, um, will kind of evolve and, and depend a bunch on conditions. But what we, um, what we, what we say is it'll uh, comfortably cover uh, uh, at least 100 square feet. Um, but, you know, we expect it'll be able to do better than that in practice, particularly in really sunny environments mm-hmm. um, um, where, you know, it'd be more like 200 um, or, or more square feet. Um, but sort of the number that we use um, in our, in our literature is, is uh, that we'll comfortably do a hundred square feet. Okay. So a hundred square feet. Uh, but, Ten, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, but uh, sunnier, sunnier conditions, the robot will run more. Got it. Okay. That's sort of the simple part of it. So it, if uh, the way I'm envisioning it and you tell me if I'm right, is that it is going to run. So it's weatherproof. So you're leaving it out in your garden. Um, you're not bringing it in, in every night or something like that. It's staying out there. And then the next morning when it gets enough power, enough charge, I guess, from the sun, it kind of wakes up, goes to work. And then when it runs out of power, it kind of shuts down until it, it charges back up again. Is that the way it works? That's the idea. That's the idea. So it doesn't. Um, and so the way that we do it is we're not running directly off the solar cell, but what we're using is the solar cell to charge a battery, and then we run off of that battery. So, um, so the robot won't be running all day. Like when you look up there, it may or may not actually be be running. Mm-hmm. Probably not, based on the sort of laws of statistics. Um, but um, you know, we you know we expect that it'll. Um, you know, over a full day, it'll run for you know, an hour or two or, or thereabouts. Um, and so there's, we play a couple different games about like when we choose to, to do that. Um, so when it's sunny, um, that 
you know, the robot's a bit more likely to run around because you want to make sure that you can um, gather as much energy while it's sunny than you mm-hmm. can. Um, and so you can keep a little bit of reserve for uh, rainy days and uh, cloudy days and, and things like that, where you want to be a bit more um, stingy with your power usage. Got it. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what, let's, let's take another break. And then when we come back, I want to ask you about your Kickstarter campaign. There's more to being a cowboy or cowgirl than hard work on the ranch. Part of the cowboy lifestyle is hitting the town in your nicest hat and boots and dancing till dawn with your best guy or gal. At D&B, we supply it all, including comfortable, stylish boots from Dan Post. Dan Post boots are known for their handcrafted cushion comfort without sacrificing design and style, making them perfect for long, fun summer nights. Come find a pair of Dan Post boots today at your favorite D&B supply. Know what looks good with a cowboy hat, panhandle western apparel, and rock and roll denim available at D&B Supply. Over 70 years ago, Panhandle started putting snaps on their popular gambler-style shirt and soon became a runaway hit with cowboys and cowgirls everywhere. In the 21st century, they formed Rock and Roll Denim too, with fashion-forward looks and high-class jeans that fit any style. With designs both classic and fresh, get decked out for life in the West with Panhandle shirts and rock and roll denim at D&B. All right, Rory. So I just want to recap for our listeners. So we're talking about the turtle, which is the invention of Franklin Robotics. And this is something that you can put in your garden, ideal size, 10 foot by 10 foot or 100 square feet. And it will go out and it can sense your weeds. It won't harm your plants. It will weed your garden for you. And it runs automatically off of solar power. So an absolutely incredible invention. And as we've gone through the interview, you're saying a lot of things like, well, that's the idea and that's how it's supposed to work. So I want to clarify what we're talking about here for our listeners who are going, well, how come you don't know that's exactly what it's going to do? And that's because you're you're doing this through a crowdfunding campaign. And this is something that uh, you are bringing to the public and you're perfecting. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, that's fair. So we started the company... Um two years ago and we've been doing a bunch of testing on our own. We have a garden outside of our office and, you know, working on our prototypes, taking them to, you know, as many gardens as we can find. But what we're doing now is now that we're ready to take this product to market, we're doing it via a crowdfunding campaign. And that's where we are now. We're going to have some listeners who are not familiar with, or maybe they've heard of Kickstarter, maybe they've heard of crowdfunding, but aren't really familiar with how it works. And to be honest, I kind of know how it works, but I'm not super familiar with it either. So could you explain to us how this works and why you chose this method? Sure. Yeah. One of the challenges in making um, a consumer product, and this is true of you know, other, other types of products as well, is that in order to, to make a large number of them, you need to sort of tool up and, you know, you need to pay for the molds and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, and that's all super expensive, but you need to make a reasonable number of them so you can get the cost down, et cetera, et cetera. And this is a real challenge for hardware companies. So what we're doing, and this is the way, um, and this works for other projects as well, but so crowdfunding in the way it works is a bunch of people get together and say, Hey, this seems like a cool idea. Let me give you some money now ahead of time you go and you make this product, and at the end of the process, I'll get a product. You know, you get the willing backers that are willing to give you the cash up front so you can go make the tools and make the parts and then go make the product. And it's a way of kind of getting the ball rolling. So that's what we're doing. So the way this works is we're having a campaign. We're trying to get people that are interested in this product, show it to them, and get enough to say, hey, this is interesting. We've got a critical mass of people and say, okay, so now we have 
X number of people that have supported our campaign and are willing to give us the money. Now mm-hmm. we can go make them. And because there's enough of you, we can get you this product at a good price. And we are committing to uh, deliver this product next spring. But that's the way it works. If people are contributing now, and we will go and take that money and buy the tooling and buy the plastics and buy the circuit boards so we can go turn this into a product and deliver it to you next spring. So the benefit to the people contributing to the Kickstarter campaign is that they're going to be the first to receive it when you have it ready for them next spring. As a contributor, do they get it at a lower price than it will be on the retail market? Or or what other benefits are there to the contributors? Yeah, no, exactly. So they will be, like you said, the first ones to get it. This will be our first production run. They're also part of our development process. So right now, you know, we're at the point where we have the designs ready. You know, we have our manufacturers lined up and kind of just waiting for the checks. But there's still, you know, a bit of software development that, that we can do. And so there's, you know, a couple more features to be put in there. And this is where we can solicit the feedback of, of people that are interested to, to sort of help craft the product. And these people get to be a part of that process. And then in addition, it's, it's sort of, you know, an incentive. It is discounted off of our retail price. So uh, right now, the robots are $249 mm-hmm. is the Kickstarter price. The retail price will be uh, around $300. Okay. Once we, once we get going and sort of make it available to the general public. Okay. So as a contributor to the Kickstarter campaign, you get it at a discount. You get to be part of the development of this really innovative gardening tool. And you get to be one of the first people to have it, which is kind of cool. Exactly. Okay. First on your block to have a turtle. <laughs> All right. Now, you mentioned that it's a 30-day Kickstarter campaign. So what is the final date? If somebody listening wants to get in in the front, you know, the, the beginning of this, what is the last date they could contribute to the Kickstarter campaign? The last possible date is uh, July 12th. Okay. So July 12th, 2017. So. And we caught you and we found out about you about two weeks into this. So we're, we're getting this interview out as quickly as we can. So our listeners have the opportunity if they want to do that. But July 12th is the deadline. Indeed. Yeah. And I should know the exact time, but late in the evening okay. uh, on, uh, on July 12th is, is the day. So if somebody does want to participate and be part of this, where would they go to contribute to the Kickstarter campaign? Where would they go to find out more about you and see videos and things like that? So there's two places. So the Franklin Robotics, that's, that's our company. So franklinrobotics.com is our website. The other place you can go is kickstarter.com, intuitively spelled, and you search for turtle. T-E-R-T-I-L-O, and that'll, uh, that'll get you there. And on our Kickstarter page, there's a bunch of information. There's you know, a video that shows sort of about working, a little bit from, from me and Joe, and a bunch of details about sort of you know, how it works and what we're planning to do and fun things like that. It's a great product, fascinating robot, and should clarify, it's called Turtle, but it's, uh, I like the way you spelled it, T-E-R-T-I-L-L, because it's tilling your ground kind of. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Rory, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you very much for sharing all this and uh, good luck with the Kickstarter campaign and this great product. Thanks a bunch. It's been a pleasure. Thank you all for joining us today. And here is to you and your pursuit of the country lifestyle, however you define it. For the DNB Show, I'm Matt Breckwald.